Bill Heibel once said this. He once said, vision leaks. In other words, if you have a vision for your life or God's given you a vision for your life, that vision leaks. That is, it slowly loses its intensity. It can slowly lose its focus. It can slowly become less clear and become less doable in your mind. In other words, vision leaks. And let me say in the same way, life leaks. The essence of who you are, what you want to be, what you want from life, that also leaks. And sometimes it's just a slow leak, kind of like the drip you see on the faucet there on the screen. Sometimes it's a bigger, faster leak, like a pipe burst. Sometimes it's even more personal than that. Kind of like our head's a bucket and multiple leaks are coming out of it in multiple places in our lives. And the things which create those leaks come from several fronts. Pastor Rick Warren, as a matter of fact, said there's several enemies that try to mess up your life. We're going to look at some of the things he had to say this morning. In terms of life leaking, these things have purposes. The purpose is to feed your family. The purpose is to steal your soul. The purpose is to steal from you the meaning and the purpose of your life. And these things, they kind of triple team you, kind of like a tag team match gone wrong. And these things are seen in the presence of evil. And you say, check, I can see that. And these things can be seen in the power of the world. You Again, you say, check, I see that. This last one, however, may surprise you just a little bit because it's you. And you say, wait a minute, me? Yes, you. You see, evil comes against you, whereas the world comes around you. But the battle with you, hey, that is within you. Because often we're our own biggest problem. And you try to run away from all your problems and go to some nice place like Cancun. And what happens? Your problems follow you there. You take your problems with you. Because the truth is, running away from your problems is a race you're never, ever going to win. And along with all the other stuff you're trying to away from and the internal stuff, you're never going to get away from that either. And the truth about this battle going on inside you is that you have two different natures, two distinct natures. You have the old nature, and the old nature wants to do what you perceive as fun and convenient, not necessarily the right thing, which would be good for you. At the same time, you know there are things that would be good for you. For some reason, we don't seem to always do them. Romans 7.15 in the Living Bible, Paul talks about this in his own life when he says this, I don't understand myself at all, for I really want to do what is right, but I can't. I do what I don't want to do, what I hate. Paul says, all my best intentions just aren't good enough. I want to do the right thing, I don't do that. And I don't want to do the wrong thing, and I do that. And there, that's the story, friends, of you and me, isn't it? You and I know if we were actually able to practice all the good things that we know to do, then we'd be a lot more successful in life. But it's not just knowing what to do, is it? It's also getting ourselves to actually do it. The battle going on inside you is because we want what's easy. We want what's convenient. We want what's quick rather than what's right and what's best. Life is about choices. Guess what? You actually have to choose what's best for me, what's right for me. What does God want for me? And sadly, our best intentions just aren't good enough. So much of our happiness in life, my friends, is because we listen to ourselves instead of listening to God. Just because you have a thought doesn't necessarily mean it's accurate, doesn't necessarily mean it's true, doesn't necessarily mean it's correct. And the same thing is true with me. 
In fact, a lot of things I think and say to myself are actually lies. They are rational lies that I rationalize. And they fall under the banner of weapons of self-destruction. I'm sure you've heard of weapons of mass destruction. This morning we're going to look at what the Bible says are weapons of self-destruction. These are things that have the potential to do things to ourselves that can damage us and hurt us. And you can talk to any psychologist and they'll tell you the same thing. These are things that can really mess up your life. And the first weapon of self-destruction is shame. Because we cannot feel happy and feel ashamed at the same time. Second weapon is uncontrolled thoughts. You don't learn to control your thoughts. Guess what? Your thoughts are going to control you in not so good ways. Another weapon of self-destruction is compulsions. And these are inner desires and drives we know as lusts, habits, impulses, which can seriously sabotage your life. Another weapon is fear. We need to master our fear because not our fear is going to master us. Hopelessness is another weapon of self-destruction. It tries to keep you from wanting to keep on because when you feel hopeless, you get discouraged and you just want to give up. Bitterness, another weapon of self-destruction. It's like a cancer that can eat you from the inside. There's no value to it at all, and it makes you miserable. And then there's insecurity. That's also a weapon of self-destruction. Because when we are insecure, we are prone to do foolish things and to say foolish things. These are the weapons of self-destruction. There's shame, there's uncontrolled thoughts, compulsions, fears, hopelessness, bitterness, insecurity. The Apostle Paul, in Romans 7.24, in the New Living Translation, tells us what the impacts of these things are in his life and thus in our lives. Paul says, Oh, what a miserable person I am. What the message version says of this is, I've tried everything and nothing helps. I've watched Oprah. I've been to Ted Robbins seminars. I've read a Dr. Phil book. None of these things, Paul says, really make a difference. And so he continues, Who will free me from this life dominated by sin. Notice he doesn't say what will free me because the answer isn't a pill, it's not a program, it's a person. It's Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit inside you. So how can I be free from these weapons of self-destruction? Well, the answer comes out of Romans 8th chapter, which is a pretty interesting chapter. And it's interesting because a survey of many great biblical scholars were asked the question, if you were on a deserted island all by yourself and you could have just one chapter of the Bible, which one would it be? 90% of them said Romans chapter 8. And so we're going to draw several things this morning from that to help free you from the weapons of self-destruction. And the first is this. Remind myself daily what Jesus has done for me. And you go, huh? Remind myself daily what Jesus has done for me? Well, the thing is you have to figure out what game you're in. If you're going to go play football, you don't take a basketball. If you're going to go play football, you don't take a baseball. You've got to understand what game you're in. And the truth is, is we are in the game of life with God and with Jesus Christ. And so the game we're in, ask the question, what is salvation? Does it really, really work for me? And how does it happen? We see there's lots and lots of us who Christians who are still running around kind of not sure about the game we're in because we still are having to deal with huge amounts of shame. We're still having to deal with uncontrolled thoughts. We're still having to deal with 
compulsions and fear and bitterness and hopelessness and insecurity. We may indeed be believers, but we're not set free. And so the first step is you have to remind yourself what game you're in, what Jesus actually did for you. And Romans 8, 1 through 4, New Living Translation says, So now there is no condemnation. There is no condemnation for those who belong to Jesus Christ. That means God doesn't judge you for all you've done wrong if you've trusted Christ with your life. Meaning Jesus took all of those wrongs, paid the price on the cross. If you realize this and remember this, being sorrowful for your wrongs, wishing to turn away from them, there's no condemnation for you at all. None at all. Notice it doesn't say you're not going to sin again. It doesn't say you're not going to make mistakes. It doesn't say that you're not going to fail. It says you're under no condemnation. In other words, you don't have to walk around with shame. You don't have to walk around with guilt. You don't have to walk around with regret beating yourself up. And that's incredibly good news. So realize what game you're in and what Jesus has done for you. Next part of this verse says, For the power of the life-giving Spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Because I'm a believer in Jesus. I have a new power in my life, greater than my own willpower. You see, before you became a Christian, the only thing you had to use against your bad habits was your willpower. And how long does that work? Not very long. Unfortunately, a lot of us Christians, we're still depending upon our own willpower to change and to handle the bumps and bruises as they come to us in life. We've not figured out how to connect to spiritual power, into the power of Jesus, into the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not just my own willpower. It's God's power in me. Continuing, we read, the law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. The weakness of our sinful nature. Trying to keep God's law is not going to do it. The law simply work on our outside behavior, but it doesn't work on inside change. For instance, if I were, if you can picture this, I were to bring a pig out here, a big sow. It'd been rolling around in the mud and the dirt and was eating garbage, stunk to high heaven. And I ask you, what is this? You would say, it's a pig. Now, what if I took the pig backstage ran it through a couple of car washes, then put it in a bathtub with bath salts, perfume, soap suds, get it all cleaned up. I'd brush its teeth. I'd sprinkle some foo-foo juice on it because it's a pig. It would be corral number five, if you know what I mean. That would be appropriate for a pig. And then I'd rub it with oil of Olay. And its skin would be so very soft. I could tie a bow around its neck. I could put a bonnet on its head. I could apply some eyeshadow and eyelashes and put a dress on it, put some lipstick on it. And if I brought that pig back out here and I ask you what it is, what would you say? You would say it's still a pig. It may be spiffed up on the outside, but it's the nature that has remained on the inside exactly the same. And that's what happens with worldly self-help programs. They spiff us up on the outside by sheer willpower saying, I'm going to take a bath and I'm going to put on some new clothes. I'm going to change my behavior. On the outside, we look different, but inside, it's all still the same nature. If you're going to have radical change transforming your life, you've got to change your inner nature. Only God can do that. No self-help program can actually change your heart. You can even go farther. You can pass laws that say no one's going to be a racist, no one's going to be a bigot. 
Is that going to change anyone's heart? No. Only Jesus can change that heart. And people have come to Jesus and have changed from being racist to compassionate people. They've come to Jesus and changed from being bigots to being loving people. And God says for real change to take place, it doesn't start with your behavior. It doesn't start with your action. It doesn't even start with your feelings. It doesn't start with your emotions. It starts with your mind. If I'm feeling depressed, I'm going to never ever get past my depression by changing my feelings. I'm going to stop feeling depressed. This doesn't work. What you do is you change the way that you think. And when you change the way you think, then you're going to think different thoughts. And that's going to change the way you feel, which will ultimately change the way you act. Let's say you come to the awful conclusion, I don't have any feelings for my spouse anymore. So what do you do? If you start thinking loving feelings toward your spouse and then start acting in loving ways toward your spouse, here's the thing. The feelings will come back. They will return. And the good thing is, is that you and I, we have the Holy Spirit inside of us and you can ask him to put good thoughts in your mind so that you won't just have to think them up on your own. Actually, this is the second thing that you can do to help defeat the weapons of self-destruction in your life. And that is, ask the Holy Spirit to give me better thoughts. And here's what God says about this in the next two verses, Romans 8, 5, and 6 in the NIV. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The point is, we have two mindsets. We have the mindset of how the old nature normally thinks about our lives. And we have the mindset about the Holy Spirit, how it sees our lives. And so, which one's going to be true? It's going to be the way that the Spirit sees our lives. And so we have to choose between these two mindsets. The way I normally think about my life or the way God thinks about my life. There's a huge difference in these mindsets. And the next part of our verse tells us about that difference. It says the mind of sinful man is death. In other words, it's self-destruction and death. But the mind controlled by the Spirit is life in peace. How many of us would like to live this fall a life in peace? I tell you, I would. But it's all about the mindset that you choose. Your problems may not change. Your circumstances, they may not change. But here's the thing, your mindset, it can change. And that's the difference in a life of self-destruction and a life of peace. Asking the Holy Spirit to give me better thoughts. And the reason that works is called the power of replacement. You see, anytime you want to change something in your life, you don't resist it, you replace it. If you want to stop doing something in your life, you don't start doing it and at the very same time says, I want to stop doing this thing, I want to stop doing this thing, I want to stop doing this thing. Because what you're actually doing is you're focusing on the thing that you want to stop doing. And whatever it is you're focusing on, that gets your attention. And whatever gets your attention ultimately gets you. And that's why if we want to break any bad habit in our lives, the key is not to resist it, but to replace it and to refocus. Whenever you resist, that thing's going to persist. It's kind of like I'm flipping TV channels with my remote. And there's something comes on that I see I don't want to watch. I don't just sit there and say, I don't want to watch this. I don't want to watch this. I don't want to watch this. I just flip the channel and replace it. 
And the moment I replace it, it's gone. I refocus. It doesn't have a grip on me anymore. Say you're standing in an airport bookstore and there are all these girly magazines in front of you. And you just don't stand there looking at them saying, I don't want to look at them. I don't want to look at them. I don't want to look at them. What do you do? You don't stand there. You walk away. And you slam the door. You replace it with something else. Let's say I had this big, juicy, fat donut sitting up here on the podium right now in front of me. And the glaze is just kind of dripping off of it. Of course, I'm a diabetic with a no-sugar diet. And so it's sitting right there. I don't stare at it and say, I really don't want to eat it. I really don't want to eat it. I really don't want to eat it. Because I'm just smelling it and it smells so good. You know, what I do is I look over it to you all out there. And the moment that I do that, it loses my attention on it. It loses its grip on me. Now, as long as I resist that donut and try not to look at it, think I don't want to eat it, it doesn't work. But the moment I refocus on something else, I don't even think about it anymore. Does that make any sense? So I ask the Holy Spirit to give me better thoughts to replace the negative ones that are in my mind because you choose what you dwell on. Because the devil wants to give you ideas, they're called temptations, and the Holy Spirit wants to give you ideas, and they're called inspirations. The truth is you choose what you focus on. And so what you do is you invite the Holy Spirit to give you your thoughts and ideas. And when you do that, the Holy Spirit sometimes is going to say, Hey, Bill, why don't you think of this instead? And you say, Hey, that's a good idea. And you just channels in your mind and in your thoughts. So I encourage you to do that. Invite the Holy Spirit to have free access to your mind. Say to God, You put your spirit inside of me, and I'll give you access to my mind 24 hours a day. I want you to invite and to suggest good thoughts. Why? Because the thoughts that God is going to give you are, are going to be the truth. The thoughts God's going to give you are going to be right. Thoughts God's give you are going to be helpful. The thoughts God gives you are going to be pure. And those are the things we're to think of. And as Romans tells us, the mind of sinful man is death. It's self-destructive. The mind controlled by the Spirit is life in peace. And I don't want self-destructive in my life. I want life in peace. Another principle that heads off the weapons of self-destruction in our life is this. Realize that I have a new ability to say no. This is important to know because before you were a believer, all you had was your willpower to work with. And willpower, as we've talked about, doesn't cut it. But now you have this new ability to say no. A new power. You need to learn how to tap into that power. I don't know about you, but there have been things in my life that I don't have the ability to say no to. You might call them compulsions or habits or urges or lust or impulses, the old nature. And some things just couldn't say no to when I was depending upon my own willpower. But now I have God's power. And he gives me a new ability, a new power to say no. Look at what Galatians 5.16 in today's English version says. Let the Spirit direct your lives and you will not satisfy the desires of the old human nature. Does it say when I have the Spirit living in me, I won't have those desires anymore? No. It says I won't satisfy those desires. Do I have the same desires as before? Yes. Do I have the same temptations? Yes. Do I have the same urges and compulsions? Yes. Do I fulfill them? No. And that's because I have this new power inside of me. It's not self-will anymore. Some of you might be thinking, well, why should I limit my desires in my life 
if, if those desires seem natural. Because everything that's natural is not good for you. I have a lot of natural desires, a lot of stuff I need not fulfill. Sometimes I have a natural desire to yell at people who cut me off in traffic. So does that mean I should do it? No. Just because it's natural doesn't mean it's good. Arsenic is natural. You drink it, it'll kill you. If we only wanted to do those things that we felt were natural, we felt like doing, none of us would show up at work next week. We'd all be at the beach all week, wouldn't we? And then how would life work? I need to get gas on the way home. Well, I can't because the gas station is over and the guy's at the beach. And so life doesn't work that way. But look at what the next verse in Romans 8 and 9 in the New Living Translation tells us. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are now controlled by the Spirit. If you have the Spirit of God living in you. If you've accepted Christ in your life, you have all of God. You have God the Father, Christ the Son, you have the Holy Spirit. You have all of God. The question is, does God have all of you? As you live your life, if you'll give more and more of yourself to Him, you'll have more and more of His power in your life. Romans 8, 12 in the Living Bible points us to this. It says, Dear brothers, you have no obligation whatever to your old sinful nature to do what it begs you to do. You know compulsion can ruin an entire life in just a single second. Look at all the politicians that have fallen to scandals, even sadly pastors who have fallen to scandals. They've spent decades building up their lives and their reputations. In a moment of compulsion, they've lost it all. But you and I have a new power. We have a new ability to say no. Next principle we want to draw from the 8th chapter of Romans to overcome the weapons of self-destruction in our lives and to save me from me are the fact that I turn my thoughts to God whenever I'm afraid. Whenever you're afraid, stop focusing on your fear and start focusing on God. Romans 8, 14 and 15 in today's English version tells us this. Those who are led by God's Spirit are God's children. For the Spirit that God has given you does not cause you to be afraid. Instead, the Spirit makes you God's children. By the Spirit's power, we cry out to God, Father, my Father. See, what this is telling us is that when you're afraid, first remember whose family that you're a part of. I'm a part of God's family. And families take care of each other called the family's protection plan and they do it now say if you grew up in chicago and your family was part of the family there if you know what i mean the organized crime family you'd be walking down the street as a kid and somebody would come up take advantage and you'd say hey wait a minute do you know who i am my father is guido and guido works for bruno and bruno runs this whole city he makes people offers that they can't refuse are you sure you want to mess with me? Because I'm part of the family. And the guy would probably say, on second thought, you can have your lunch money back. Because the family protects you. And so you can say the same thing to your father. Father, would you take care of this fear for me? Would you handle it for me? And of course he says, I'll handle it. You know the number one fear people have? We often hear it's what the fear of public speaking or it may be the fear of heights, or it could be the fear of a new social situation. But actually, the greatest fear people have is being out of control. And so 2 Timothy 1.7 in today's English version tells us this. For the spirit that God has given us does not make us fearful or timid. Instead, his spirit fills us with power, love, and self-control. 
Now, some people act like they are afraid of the Holy Spirit. They say, I don't want to be filled with the Spirit. That would make me into a nut. I'd sound like one of those religious fanatics on TV who pronounces things like Jesus. I would fall over backwards. I might roll on the floor. I'm not going to lose control. Actually, the opposite is true. The more of the Holy Spirit you have in your life, the more self-controlled you are. God does not give us a spirit of fear. Fear that we don't want does not come from God. In fact, the Spirit of God comes into your life. You'll be filled with power that you do want. You'll be filled with self-control, which you do want. Okay, the Holy Spirit, say to it, you got me, fill me. Doesn't make me into a nut job. It makes me more human. It makes me more loving. It makes me more self-controlled. Mastered by the Master, I can master anything. In fact, my brother Chuck, as he shared with us this morning, came out of the door of a parking garage right next to his car, finding a guy in his car rifling through things. And as he said, that's a very frightening thing. But what happened in that moment of surprise and fear, the Holy Spirit stepped in and it gave him this thought to say, in effect, young man, my brother's a preacher. You know, he would say something like, God doesn't want you doing things like this. God would say he wants more for you. And here's what you should do this afternoon. Go and do something good for somebody else. That's what he would say. Take God with you. And so the guy didn't get up from his position and attack Chuck or try to fight him. He just said, thank you, and turned and walked away. (laughs) I have to tell you the truth. If I had been there, I probably wouldn't have said that. But I'm stoked that I wasn't because the Holy Spirit came into Chuck's mind and said, hey, focus on me. Let me take over here. And that's because Chuck in his life, he is giving himself more and more to God, becoming more and more filled with the Holy Spirit in his life. So if you too and I too will turn our thoughts to God whenever we're afraid, that's what will happen. God will be there for us. And here's the fifth thing we're going to look at. And this is a really, really good one. Focus long-term, not short-term. Focus long-term, not short-term. There was a famous study done by Harvard University. They discovered that the more long-term thinking you are, the more successful that you're going to be in your life. The shorter term your thinking is, the more failures you're going to have in your life. You're thinking short-term about today. You're only thinking about here and now. You're only thinking about what might feel good to me right now. But the longer term you think, the more successful you will be in life. In fact, the longest-term thinkers are the most successful people in life. As Christians, we have this one hands down. Because when we think long-term, we call it eternity. Thinking thousands and thousands of years ahead. And so living in the light of eternity is the most successful way that we can live our lives. And when you're thinking long-term, you are also better able to handle the short-term pain and short-term problems. Romans 8, 18 in today's English version tells us this, I consider what we suffer at this present time cannot be compared at all with the glory that's going to be revealed to us. Yes, he's saying it's not always easy living for Christ. He's saying it's not always easy doing the right thing. It's not always easy making the moral decision. But the benefit long term is going to far outlast the difficulty. You need to focus long term rather than short term. It's the same thing with dieting and working out. Same thing with devoting time in the morning to Bible reading and prayer. It's the same thing with devoting time for worship. Same thing for devoting time to small groups. The same thing for devoting time to serving others. Even the same thing for devoting resources towards tithing. 
Whatever the apparent short-term loss, there's incredibly great long-term gain. And as Christians, it's an eternal one. So essentially what we've been talking about this morning are the weapons of self-destruction. And they are very, very clearly what we could call grace busters. In other words, they destroy God's grace from reaching our hearts. They destroy God's grace from reaching our minds. They destroy God's grace from reaching our spirits. They destroy God's grace from reaching our lives. The principles on the other side that stand against those weapons of self-destruction, they are just the opposite, and they're called grace builders. They are the things that build the bridges from God through which His grace can reach out to us and can touch our hearts, bridges over which He can touch our minds, bridges over which He can touch our spirits and, and our lives. And so what I'd like to do, I'd like to share with you a song about the things that we've been talking this morning. Listen to this. In my weakest moment, I see you Shaking your head in disgrace I can read the disappointment Written all over your face Here come those whispers in my ear Saying, who do you think you are? Looks like you're on your own from here Cause grace could never reach that far But in the shadow of that shame
deed. Drop the grace-busting weapons of self-destruction, the shame, the uncontrolled thoughts, impulsions, the fears, the hopelessness, bitterness, and insecurity so that you can pick up, so you can download, so you can acquire the grace-building blocks of freedom, reminding myself daily what Jesus did for me, asking the Holy Spirit to give me better thoughts, realizing that I have this new ability to say no, turning my thoughts to God wherever I'm afraid, focusing long-term, not short-term. That's the way to fix a leaky life. Will you pray with me? God, thank you so much for your word and its wisdom in our lives. Father, I know I and I know virtually every one of us has at least one or more of those weapons of self-destruction in our lives that still have play. Help us, Father, to remember the game we're in. It's not Satan's game. It's not the game where we have to play with those weapons and toss them around and let them bounce around in our thoughts and our lives. And help us, Father, to remember that we are in your game and that you are there for us. Just help us to remind ourselves of that. Help us to realize that new ability we have to say no. Help us to turn our thoughts to you when we're afraid. And help us, Father, to focus on the long term and not the short term. And most of all, Father, help us to ask for better thoughts from the Holy Spirit in our mind as you'll give them to us. And so, Father, may all of these lessons be like a seed in our lives, may be planted deeply in our hearts, and may, Father, as we face things in the days ahead, may we draw upon them. In Jesus' precious name we all pray. Amen.